What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. Uh, today, I have with me a man who needs no introduction here on uh, New Year's morning. Jordan, how you doing, my man? Man, I'm great. I'm great. And before we begin, I'm going to pull an audible and do something that you don't know I'm about to do. But I want you to know and everyone who listens to your podcast to know that I'm unbelievably impressed with you. It's been very cool to watch your growth over the last few years. Uh, and I, I know you know I don't say this slightly and I wouldn't literally interrupt the beginning of the podcast and do this if it wasn't true. Um, you're, you have been putting out amazing content. I've been really impressed with everything you've been doing. You're a great coach. Um, and it's been a pleasure and a blessing to get to watch you come into your own and put out amazing content and help so many people. So I want you to know how incredible you are as a coach and how lucky everyone is who's listening to you and to have access to you that you're phenomenal. And I'm just very impressed with you. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate that a lot. For those of you guys who don't know, Jordan and I did an episode, I don't know, a while back in the first year of the podcast, but uh, maybe a year or two prior to that around COVID, I was at like a really pivotal point in my life, like in a, just like making a, a bit of a crossroads between what I wanted to do. And Jordan was nice enough to sit down with me for like a couple hours and, and we just kind of hashed it out. And I, you did a lot of like what I look back on now and I'm like, I don't even remember what Jordan said to me, but like just the opportunity to like kind of sit down and use you as a sounding board was extremely helpful and totally changed the trajectory. And I just believe that things happen for a reason. And for me, that's like an important day that I look back on. I'll never forget like, so my, my fiance, Jenna, had set that up, obviously, with you. And uh, at the time, I don't know how early on uh, Rico was with working with you, but she tricked me yeah. Thought we were going into the city, like hang out with her brother. And I like remember like walking into like just like a coffee shop. We were just going to meet them there. And I saw Rico like in the corner sitting facing the wall. He wasn't looking in. I was like, holy shit, I think that's Rico. And he's like working on his laptop. So I was like, holy shit, this is <laughs> fucking Rico. That's crazy. And then I just like proceeded to not think anything of it, like order a coffee, like sat down. And like Jenna was like sweating. She's like, oh, my God, I, lo I blew the surprise. Like he totally knows what this is. And I did not. I was like, oh, cool. That's Rico. And I like got a coffee. And then like two minutes later, you walked in. And I was like, holy shit, that's what's happening. Happening. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. Dude, that was, that was, it must have been 2018, I think. I think that was 2018. Yeah. 2018. Because that was in my old West Village apartment. That coffee shop, the Capola Cafe, was literally yep. like right across the street from my apartment. So yep. you were, yeah, I just, awesome. you were like posting, I remember now that looking back on it, like you were like posting stories, you're like getting espressos at like nine o'clock at this place. And I just remember it now that like I remember the inside of it, but I obviously not, was not putting that together. So yeah. Cool. So normally we do an intro, but everybody knows who you are. We don't need to do that. I would rather kind of jump into today's topic, which is going to be about parenthood and transitioning into fatherhood and something obviously you have had the uh, the chance to do recently, which is a blessing. And, and obviously I want to meet Abe if Abe's not asleep at some point, just like bring the laptop <laughs> over. So Jen, mostly Jenna needs to say hi. Um, but what I'd love to do is like, we're going to talk about how becoming a dad has or has not changed your views and outlook on health and fitness. And I'd love for it to kind of bleed into just fatherhood in general, because that's something Jenna and I are going to be doing in the next year. And I'd love to kind of learn with from how that transition has gone for you. But I'd be interested to to start by in, in place of an introduction here, just kind of looking back at maybe you, you looking back at your childhood and how you were raised. And I think it, like what, what information do we have in terms of how to parent is how we were children or how we were parented. And so that's at least mm. like the first place that I think we all, whether it's consciously or subconsciously start to draw some things of like, Oh, this is the kind of parent I'd want to be, whether it's conscious or subconscious. Mm. And so could you do us a favor and just look back? And I, I, I'm not as familiar with that part of your story is like what your family life was growing up and maybe how, you know, your your parents and people around you's relationship with health, health and fitness maybe started to shape your views around things. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll start by saying, um, 
I, I haven't spoken to my dad for the better part of like a decade, like over a decade. Um, and I always have to make clear from the beginning, like, I'm going to do, I like, I don't want to shit talk anybody, including him. Like him and I don't have a good relationship. Um, I don't agree with a lot of the things that he did when I was growing up, but um, I don't want that to come across as me shit talking him or anything like that. So um, I have an unbelievable mom. Like my mom is just like extraordinary. She very much raised my brother and I, um, my parents got divorced when I was 16 but it was one of those things where I wish they got divorced so much sooner. <laughs> like, like I wish they got divorced when I was a really young kid. And it's funny. I talked to my mom about it a lot and she, it was one of her biggest regrets is not separating sooner because in her mind, she thought if they were separated, then, uh, Basically, she wanted in her mind a, a quote unquote, like a whole family, a mom, a dad and and kids. She didn't want to separate because she thought if she separated, then it would be like a failure on her part and it wasn't going to be good. When in reality, looking back, it actually would have been much better for everybody if they had separated earlier on. Um, by the time they got divorced, I vividly remember just being like, thank God, just so happy that that it was over because it was just like really bad in the house. It was really bad. It was it was not not a good environment to say the least. And I remember going to my friends' houses as a kid, and I would ask things like, uh, like if if their parents weren't arguing or fighting, I would ask. I'd, I'd say, do your parents ever argue or do your parents ever fight? And and if if kids were like, yeah, sometimes, like, but like it was very odd for me to imagine a household where parents were not just going at it. Um, and what's interesting is I'm not an expert on this research, but like I have looked into it in terms of oftentimes kids can go one of two ways. It's either they see what's going on in their house as a kid and then they replicate that, which is very often, especially in like abusive households where like the kids will see abuse and then they're significantly more likely to become an abuser as well. On the other hand, they could also go the complete other way. Right. Where it's like they see stuff and they're like, I don't want to do that at all. And that is very much me in terms of like where I am. And like, I want to go the complete opposite of what I was brought up with. And I think I have in many, many ways. Um, and it really, it started out like with the whole reason or one of the main reasons why I wanted to build an online business. One of the main reasons I wanted to build an online business, aside from obviously being able to help as many people as I could, is I never wanted to work as a justification for not being present with my family ever. I did not want that. And I that was a huge part of my motivation for building a business that allowed me to work from anywhere is – I wanted to be able to go to all of my child's sports games, all of their theater events, uh, I don't know, like chess club, debate, like whatever. I wanted to go to everything. I want to go to every parent-teacher conference. I vividly remember growing up, my brother and I used to like tease our my dad. Um, and it, we thought it was funny at the time. Now thinking back, I was like, man, I don't really like that. But we used to tease him because he would never know our teacher's names. Like we, like whatever class we were in, like he would never know what our teacher's name was or any of that. And we would laugh, oh, what's our teacher's name? What's our teacher's name? But like, now I'm like, fuck, I want to know all of my kids' teachers' names. And I want to like know who they are and what they do and what their strengths, what they're weak. Like, I want to go to every parent-teacher conference, every sports game, every athletic, everything, everything. Um, I want to be very involved. And so I think seeing that and like 
having my dad who wasn't as involved like he was working and it's not like he was a degenerate like he was working hard and doing good things but i really wanted to be super present so that is a major part of why i've i've focused so much on building an online business um and in terms of i mean my child she she doesn't even speak yet you know she's four months old four months in a couple days so like haven't really practiced like so much of the things that will happen uh throughout her life and and uh and my tenure as a father but i i think if anything i'm really going to try and take after my mom and her parenting style there are things that i'm that i don't like about what she did as well i I think you always you know pick and choose hey i like this i don't like that whatever but um yeah the main thing is just being very very present like just and I'm sure when my daughter is older, she'll probably be like, God, my dad was just smothering us. Like he was always there. We never had any space whatsoever. But like that's I just I don't want to miss anything like anything. I, I don't want to miss anything. The irony is and I definitely want to go towards like a fitness and health side of things and pay, and like paying that forward to your child as well. But stay with the business side of things. I find that funny because the motivation for you to create an online business was I want to be present and I don't want to be always working. But what probably happened for the 10, 12 years after you decided to do that was you were immensely just immersed in your business, traveling with Gary Vee, like sacrificing other, you know, turning down other knobs of your life to make room for for your business. Do you feel like, A, that's either set you up well to, to have the control that you would like to then maybe whatever, set things up so that you can be present or have you transitioned towards that sort of like how you wanna run your business? What sort of things have changed? Because I'm thinking about it right now, I'm like, things are gonna have to change. The way that I run my business right now or businesses or things I'm doing, it's gonna have to change. And so have you gone through those changes yet, thinking about them currently or that's something you you started putting in place a while back? Yeah, so I mean, all of the above, like all of that. So I mean, it, it was very much like partly by design, also partly luck and just massive blessings from God in so many ways. But like, um, for example, if I was trying to run my business the way that I ran it when I was 25, it wouldn't matter that I had an online business because I would be working all the time. I was posting on Instagram three times a day, YouTube once a week, podcast a couple times a week. I was still answering all of my emails. I had a number of one-on-one clients and doing the inner circle. Like it was it was nonstop and I was abusing Adderall in order to work as hard as I could and to stay up late and all this stuff. Um, slowly and surely, I, I, I started to build out more systems that allowed me more freedom, whether it was hiring my amazing assistant cat uh, or bringing on my incredible co-coach Susan, uh, being able to delegate out was huge. And that was a major struggle for me in terms of delegation because whether regardless of who it is or what it is, business, family, whatever, delegating can be so difficult because in your mind, no one can do it better than you. Like, and it's in terms of business, no one is going to care about your business as much as you. Like no employee will ever care, nor should they care as much about your business as you. Um, That being said, it got to a point where I was working so hard and doing so much and I was stretched so thin and burning so much midnight oil that things just weren't getting done anymore. They were no longer getting done. And Gary Vaynerchuk said something to me. He was like, listen, someone else's B is better than your F. And that that completely changed my life and got me to be like, okay, I need to delegate now because I was missing things and not doing things just because in my head, I was like, no one will do it better than me, but it wasn't getting done anyway. So I was like, I need to hire someone who will at least give me a B because that B is better than me not doing it at all. Um, 
And it was actually really funny because I remember before I hired Kat, my assistant, I asked my Instagram, I said, would you rather, if you email me, would you rather wait two weeks to get a reply directly from me or wait 24 hours and get a reply from my assistant? And the the vast majority of people said 24 hours. I was like, oh, cool. So I'm not nearly as important as I made it up in my head. <laughs> it's like, that's yeah, at much least in better. that regard, you know, that, that like, yeah, I want to like, get in contact with Jordan or I want to schedule something or, you know, that that might be where a real opportunity to delegate is. Yeah. So um, if, if it was, if it was anything that I'd done in previous years that I wouldn't be able to have the freedom that I have now, um, it's still difficult. Like it's still difficult to, um, go from working so hard all the time to like, Oh, I'm deliberately not going to work now so that I can spend more time with my family. It's, it's you're changing a habit, right? Which is always difficult no matter what. Fortunately, this is, it's so in my face and I'm so is enamored and in love with this little human that it's very easy for me to be like, okay, cool. Like, all right, put the phone down, put the phone down let's do this. Uh, it's also, you know, if she's crying, like I can't just like ignore that. Right. So I've got to pay attention to her. Um, but it's definitely like, it's a, it's a learning process that I'm like, Hey, like, for example, if we're on a walk with my wife, uh, daughter and I went on a walk yesterday, we're doing like these family walks several times a week. And, um, it's very easy to go into an old habit of like, Oh, check my phone, check my phone. No, no I'm just turning it off. I'm just going to turn my phone off. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's difficult, but also easy at the same time. And I know that makes zero sense, but it's, it's a learning process. And, and, uh, I'm very blessed that I'm at a point now where I can deliberately work less. I can take a hit to my income and still have it be okay. Do you feel like, uh, so I think about that too. I think about like what my work week looks like, how I'm distributing my work across things I want to do. And part of it brings up, I had to Google what this was while you're talking, cause I don't know what it's called, but it's called Parkinson's law. And it's, it's like work expands to fill the time available. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, um, what I've seen lately is I'm taking on more and more projects and I'm constantly feeling like, oh, this is going to be too much. It's going to be too much. But my, my ability to manage time has like been forced to improve. And I always mm-hmm. think like whenever that happens, when, when we do have a baby, hopefully God bless and, and hope that that all works out well, that, that I feel like that, yes, delegation, absolutely something I'm, I'm very much thinking about a, a ton, but I also feel like, Hey, you're, you're going to be able to, yes, maybe there's, maybe I'm wrong and maybe it will be too much and maybe I will have to, but I do feel like you become, I don't know, for the greater good, like you said, they just love this human so much that you're willing to like, just make those sorts of things happen. I think one of the things that will happen to me is the productivity, like per minute will go up. I've seen like, I can do, if I put one hour of like phone on airplane mode, I get done what I could have gotten done in the entire day. And so when I have things in my life, like I want my kids theater or my kids soccer game, like being able to compartmentalize that time into like being more efficient. Have you felt that that's something that you've been able to do? So I've definitely become more efficient, but what I will say is, and this is completely unsolicited advice that maybe your first unsolicited parenting advice, which, you know, was the most annoying thing for me, but here's what I'll say. I would encourage you not to wait to start delegating only because you will be more efficient, but I think there's something like efficiency is important for business. I don't like the idea of efficiency for family because there are things happen with social interactions with family, with friends where there's something like, I don't, if I'm going to go meet a friend for coffee, I don't want that in their mind to be like, how can I be efficient with this coffee with my friend? You know, like I want to relax and see where it goes. Same thing with family. I, there, I, I don't, if I'm going to my daughter's play, I don't want to have to think about like, how can I be efficient with this 
this time. I just want to go and enjoy and not think about how's that piece of content doing? Are my emails being it? Like, I don't, I want to completely as much as I can disconnect from everything. So I don't have to be thinking about work. I just am fully present in that moment. And I very much think, I, I don't think, I know for a fact that having an amazing assistant and an amazing co-coach in Susan and having an amazing video, like having these delegations made. So I'm fully confident that they're getting done. That's what allows me to be more present in the moment as opposed to being efficient uh, due to Parkinson's law, which is true. I've been more efficient, but I think efficiency is something for business, not for family. And I mean it that way. I mean like efficient in the business yeah. so that you can afford yourself not yes. thinking about it 24 seven. I think of like when I make my to-do list for the day, Let's say I make like a, a to-do list. To-do lists are hit or miss depending on like psychologically how they mesh with you. It's something that works yeah. incredibly well for me. But no matter what's on my to-do list, I had a friend come in last week and he was here and he's like, hey, I'm getting off work every day at two and let's go do something. And it was like three days, like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like my busiest days. And I was like, looked at my to-do list and I was like, fuck, I have so much to do. And every single day I got it done by two o'clock. And I just knew that I was like, you know what? Like just mm -hmm. on some level, I was like, I could be more efficient. And yes, I'm, I'm considering the balance of being more efficient, but also delegating. And because I want to be, I don't want to be thinking about my content, thinking about whatever it needs to get done. I don't want any of that for sure. I want to transition a little bit to more of like a health and fitness discussion. I think I'm going to throw a very broad question at you now. I wrote it and I was like, this is super broad. But if you were to, in some, a couple sentences, paragraph, whatever, a couple minutes, uh, summarize your general philosophy on fitness. And you can think of like your philosophy with your content and and maybe just summarize like pre-Jordan, hey, where was your head at in terms of what you feel passionate about in this field? What are the things you talk about? What are your like pillars or whatever it is so that like we can kind of discuss how, if at all, those things have changed. And, yeah, and before I think you go, hold on, no, I just, sorry, just a, one more quick one. Maybe we could, you could go back and talk about how those were formed because dude, you're a fucking elite power lifter. You trained at Westside. Like you started off with a very extremist, like full-blown powerlifting maximalist need to do the most. And so maybe you talk a little bit, people don't know your backstory, but then, you know, obviously I think we all know it's transitioned from there to somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny thinking back to all the way from when I was a high school wrestler and I was just like the most extreme dogmatic. It has to be, you know, organic, perfect food, which, which that was a whole issue because we didn't have much money. And I always used to guilt my mom about not getting organic food. And I, that's like probably my biggest regret ever is guilting my mom about not getting organic food when like we were really struggling with money and like she would have if she could, but it's like, she couldn't, it was just, it was too expensive. And, um, going from that elite, like, like wrestler, elite power lifter training at Westside barbell, I thought I only wanted to work with outrageously strong meatheads. Like I just wanted to lift as much weight as possible. Dude, I I almost when I was training at Westside, I almost I don't think I've ever told this story. I almost stayed at Westside. Like I I didn't almost didn't leave. Um, it was originally like, hey, Louis was like, come for four months, train, and then go back to school. And in my mind, I was like, I want to stay here forever in Columbus, Ohio, and just train at Westside, bro. I almost got Westside tattooed on my chest. Like I I'm very glad that I didn't, but like. I was so wrapped up in that world. Um, and, and I think, yeah, fuck if I, I don't even know how it happened, but I, what I think what happened was I got into powerlifting and I started to make a name for myself in powerlifting at a time when women started to get into powerlifting and, and it really was just like the right place at the right time. And me being the right person, because I'm a small guy, you know, I'm five foot four, 145 pounds and I was lifting very heavy weight. I deadlifted four times my body weight, 
but I'm not a big dude. I'm not jacked. I'm not super bulky. Like I'm not. And so when women started getting into powerlifting, a lot of them were looking at me like, well, that guy is really small, but he's also super strong. And I wanted to be small and strong. So I was starting to get a lot of women clients who wanted to get strong as hell, but they didn't want to be like a huge power lifter. And through doing that, through the experience of working with so many women who were often mothers and working jobs and also want to get stronger, like I I couldn't bring that like West Side mentality to that client. It made zero sense. So I think that's what started to give me a little bit more an idea of a, an approach for balance. And then that just became my passion is just working with everyday regular people. Now it's like about 80% women at this point. Um, I, I do have men, but a much smaller percentage. And it's just for me at this point, my, and it's been like this for many years is I want people to get healthy and strong and fit and happy and confident without fitness taking over their life. Like that's really the, the sum and substance of it is I want to teach you how to get healthy, fit, happy, confident, so that you can do it on your own without it taking over your entire life. That's really the probably the easiest way to, to say it. Yeah, I find it just an, an interesting thing that it wasn't a conscious, it doesn't seem like there was a big inflection point or some one specific client that changed it for you. It was almost like these are the clients that happened to be attracted to me and the I had to adapt. And it turns out that maybe they didn't want to be like a, world record powerlifting, you know, they wanted to be strong and fit and healthy. And maybe, you know, that sort of rhetoric that I was had at Westside wasn't really working for these people. And in order to make it work for that, it probably was like a chicken or egg thing where you became more passionate about it as you saw that it was working and really changing lives. And it, it was, you know, not more scalable, like from a business standpoint, but could help more people that way. Um, yeah, I if so I'm, I'm, I have the pleasure of speaking at a conference in, in March, my first speaking event ever. So I'm so very excited. I, I, I know you've done a ton and, and we'll maybe we'll talk about that off air. But if you had told me uh, two years ago that I'd be speaking at a conference and that my topic was going to be hypertrophy, I would have made a list of what I thought I would be talking about. Um, and I just two, five years ago, and I just would have made a list of like, oh, this is probably what you're talking about. Like some, some, whatever it was, some more intellectual, more biomechanics, more something advanced. Like my title is literally like how little do you need to do to get the best out of this? Like the entire part of the speech or the presentation is to like how little you can do and reap the amazing health benefits of, you know, hypertrophy training or resistance training and, uh, just feel ever more passionate about that. And I, again, I don't know if there was some inflection point, but I think we all can go, you, you say a lot that, you know, sometimes it takes going to unbalance to come back and, and, and find balance. And so I think that that happens with a lot of coaches and clients uh, all together doing stuff. And that's definitely something that the end of your philosophy there where you're like, Hey, I just want most people to be able to reap the, you know, I say a lot that, that health and fitness is, is not an end, it's a means. And so mm. it's not like the thing that I'm pursuing as an end, it's something I want so that I can do blank so that I can show up for my family, be here for a long time, like be physically able and autonomous for as long as possible. And so I think that's something that just, maybe it's like going, growing older too. I think that like maturing and be, and seeing your parents age and like seeing maybe what you want better for them. Something that you mentioned is that like 80% of your clientele are women. It's an interesting thing that I get asked a lot is, it seems like, I think my, like 89% of my following is women. And so, so it seems like the fitness space is dominated by women. I don't know if I'd jump all the way there. It, maybe it is, you know, it, maybe it's like marketing wise, just totally geared towards that. But what what would you say is the reason that that is the case for you? Um, yeah, that's, I'll leave that question as is. Yeah, so I think, I think the fitness consumer space is significantly more uh, female centric 
as opposed to male. I'd say it's relatively even, maybe even slightly more male dominated in terms of actual uh content creators there we have seen a lot more women content creators coming out which has been amazing but dude i remember when i got in the industry the only woman that i can really think of is nia shanks who was like there early on and she was a pioneer for women in the strength world um but now it's there are much more women but i still think it's it's probably like 50 50 split men women creators maybe 60 40 um but I think there are many reasons why there would be more women consumers. Um, number one being, I think women are far more likely to ask for help than men are. That's the one. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the, I think without question. And there are other ones. Like I know people are going to be listening being like, well, also, you know, women are marketed to as, and like they're, they're said that like, they're not good enough. I will say that marketing is towards men as well. And actually, it's been very interesting to look at the the body positivity movement and their messaging on women's health magazines and Cosmopolitan and all this stuff. We see all women of different colors and shapes and sizes, all of that. You don't see that in men's magazines. You do not see a higher body fat percentage male on the cover of a men's fitness magazine. It's still all super shredded, lean as shit, peeled to bits. Like it's that's how men are marketed to. Um, I think there's actually been way more progress for women in the body positivity movement than there has been for men. Uh, I really think the biggest factor as to why fitness is so much more uh, uh, female consumer centric is because they're more likely to ask for help. Same thing. Like I think if we were to go into uh, psychology, we would see there are probably way more women asking for help and going to therapy from because they're more likely to ask for help. This isn't like an, a, an opinion. This is a fact. Women are more likely to express their concerns and fears and ask for help. So um I think what we're seeing, like women have always been far more consumer centric in, in fitness, especially in regard to like yoga, Pilates, things like that, uh, aerobics classes. But as it has become more popular for women to strength train, now we're seeing that bleed over into strength training as well. Uh, men are have always been more likely to strength train, but far less likely to ask for help for it, which is why like if I go into any gym, I'm far more likely to see a woman deadlifting with better technique than a guy is for many reasons, not least of which that woman is probably more likely to ask someone for help to teach her how to do it properly, as opposed to the guy who's like, I just saw a video and I'm going to try and rip 400 off the ground. Like it's just, that's generally how it works. I also think, um, I think that my personality, and this could largely be due to partly, partly because of who I am, but also because I was more raised by my mom. I think my personality lends itself to women feeling, you know, more uh, comfortable to, with me than maybe a dude who's just all about like fucking testosterone and get big as possible. Like, I don't, you know, so I have no idea, but that's probably largely because I was raised by my mom and you know, it's, uh, I would imagine a huge part of it. Yeah. And it goes both ways. I think your, your content creation on with a bit more balance and a bit less of like, you gotta be shredded, gotta be peeled. Like that is what is already marketed mostly towards men of like, I need to be shredded mm -hmm. and ripped. And so you weren't really saying that. And so probably drew a different audience and then kind of grew yeah. from there. Um, yeah, I see that a ton with the more likely to ask for help. Um, I think while we're making like steep generalizations here that are probably true on average, but still making generalizations, I think if you're like uh, on that note, I think women are probably more likely on average to need a push to lift heavier and are actually stronger than they think. Yes. And men on average need a more of a push to take some weight off the bar, focus on technique. And 
you know, that just, again, gross generalization. Sure. There's, you know, exceptions on both that's sides. But that's fact. something I've seen it, a ton. Yeah. It's a fact. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like anyone who's coached both sexes for more than a year will know that without question. Yeah. I actually love when I'm like, I have like somebody who breaks that rule and I'm have like a woman who I'm like, yo, you are, you have the like work really fucking hard <laughs> thing down. Like, I love that. That's like a little more rare. Let's, oh, that's great. I, this is a problem that we're going to have fun working on. But I was just laugh when that, when that rule gets broken. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so here you are. Okay. West side, crazy powerlifter, start coaching. I know that you, when you were at Delaware, you started the powerlifting team. You're probably coaching a lot of people for free, writing powerlifting programs. Then at some point it transitions into a little bit more gen pop. Thus your philosophy changes a little bit towards more of like, I just want everyone on earth to like reap the life the quality of life benefits of this stuff. Um, at what point did you, did you start to get in touch with uh, or start to think about how those things, although I think a lot of them will align very similarly, how those align with like the kind of father you want to be. And you know, a lot of people, I don't, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not going to, I'm just going to say it. A lot of people are like, I don't want to fuck up my kid. I want my kid to have a good relationship with fitness. I want my kid to have a good, in this world of social media, TikTok, Snapchat, like rates of, uh, you know, body dysmorphia are, are probably through the roof compared to 20 years ago. And so we're, we're kids on iPads, whatever it is, whatever stuff we want to kind of use as a proxy for this statement of like, I don't want to fuck up my kids. I want them to have a good relationship with fitness, good relationship with their health and their bodies. At what point did you start to think about uh, think about that in general? Maybe shift some of your content towards that. But when did that come into your mind? Is it something that you started to think about quite a bit before having a child, or something that was like thrust upon you? And you know, when Abe came out, dude, I I had you know I had passing thoughts about it, but I didn't really start thinking about it until I I had my daughter. It didn't even I wasn't even thinking about it when my wife was pregnant, like nine months pregnant with my. It was not until I had her and, and really not even in probably until the last maybe two months or she's four months now until like her personality has started to come out a little bit. Um, it is, I was literally like walking to my car the other day. I was walking in the garage and I was just, I had seen a post on social media. I forget what the post was or who made it, but it was about, you know, um, female body image, ideal standards. And it was, I think it was a woman talking about all the stuff that she struggled with growing up, seeing all this stuff. And I just, I had this whole conversation in my head for probably like 10 minutes thinking like, how am I going to respond to my daughter? If like, she's having these issues. And like, if I see who she's following on social media and I know it's really bad, like, how am I going to have this conversation? Cause I know for a fact that it won't matter who I am or like kids don't care who you are, what you know. It's like, they're like, you don't understand what I'm going through is often what the kid will, will think, which that's part of growing up. So I I only recently started really thinking about this stuff and um, I don't have the answer. I have, I have zero clue. I I have no idea. Like people always ask, how are you going to make sure that your daughter has a good relationship with food? I have no fucking clue. Like, and I think a large part of it is out of my control. Like, your kid is who your kid is going to be like, you know, the whole nature versus nurture thing. This is something that I've spoken with my mom a lot about. And, you know, my brother and I are, you know, two boys born into the same house. And like, we could not be more different. We were raised the same way. We just couldn't be more different. I, I think it's, you know, there's part nature, part nurture. I think it's, it's a little bit of both, not just one or the other, but um, I have no clue what the fuck I'm going to do to give my daughter the best chance at having a healthy relationship with food. Because I mean, I, I know like the messages that I'll discuss and all of that, but 
it's sort of I always think about I, I believe it was Sun Tzu who said like um you know the the plan never survives first contact with the battlefield where it's like the battlefield is going to like, I can have all these grandiose ideas and plans in my head, but then my daughter's going to come and say something completely that I didn't expect. I'll be like, well, fuck that just didn't go the way I expected at all. So I'll do my absolute best and try and teach her everything that I teach everybody else. But, um, and I'll try and set a really good example, but I won't know until she comes home from school one day and says something that rocks me to my core. And then I'm going to have my whole life, like my whole, like, reality of life will be shifted and I'll try and figure something out. So I, dude, I have no clue. I love that honesty. Cause that's, I, I, in my most recent, uh, my one-on-one clients get like a weekly check-in for them. And, and one of the questions always changes because I just want it to be a little bit more thought provoking. And one of them was this kind of question of like, for those of you that have kids, what are some situations that have come up and, and made you be like, what the fuck? Like, what do I say? And, and a lot of it's like, you know, things like people are like, oh, I want my kid to eat their vegetables. Like, and I want my kid to like also have ice cream. And what words do I use to describe this? Do, do, do you know, like, do I use good and bad and healthy and unhealthy? And, you know, part of me thinks mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm not going to use that. And like, you know, a lot of people will reference like having had uh, using uh, food as a reward. It's like, if you eat your broccoli, then you can have your blank. And I think about all these scenarios and I, I kind of get where you're at, where I'm like, I think I kind of know the general general philosophy that I want to put out the like the the um how I want to like set myself up and what sort of example I want to set but man those situations are a mindfuck and like I as much as you like can try to prepare and up at, and I roll my eyes at that because it's just like the best preparation you can do is to get your own shit in order I think I think that that's like that's like the most realistic thing that you could actually do yeah. you could probably do some other yeah. stuff like like you said you had this mental conversation in your head of like even preparing to not be prepared is probably a good idea. Um, but I do think that there's an actual tangible thing you could do, which is try and get your own shit together, mostly from a relationship with those things. Um, not yes. necessarily from like, a, I need to physically be in a certain place. I think that they, you know, that you could have an argument for both, but um, yeah, I think really that's like a, something I'm thinking about is like, are there lingering things that I wouldn't want for my children that I think I can maybe get my own shit together with? Because that's probably the most control that I have. Yeah, just setting the example and and looking at what you have control over for sure. It's so it's it's already a mind fuck because literally yesterday we were feeding my daughter with her bottle and you know there's all the everyone has like different recommendations they should be having this many ounces like yeah. everything everything, yeah. but she always leaves two ounces left in her bottle always based on like what the recommendations are for what she should be eating and there's always two ounces left and I'm already being like should I like try and force her to finish this bottle? Or if she's hungry, if she's not hungry anymore, should I just let it be? But I'm thinking like, she can't talk. So I don't know what she's thinking or feeling. I don't know, like nutritionally, what does a four month baby like physiologically need in order to grow? Like I'm already thinking about this shit. And literally uh, I've started to use different words. I I know growing up, a lot of the thing I heard was like a happy plate. You want your plate to be happy, basically like having an empty plate. But I don't like that because like you shouldn't have to empty your plate. So like I like I'm already asking my daughter who has no idea what the fuck I'm saying. Like, do you have a happy tummy? Like, do you have a happy belly? Like, is your belly full? Are you like are you satisfied now? So we can stop having this this bottle. And she can't communicate, so I have no idea. But it's already a mind fuck in my head. Like, should I try to force you to finish the bottle or not? Like, is this going to have an impact on you down the road or not? I have no idea. So yeah, I think. Uh, venturing in the world into the world of um parenting is just a constant mind fuck 
one of the one of the best pieces of advice that I got was as soon as you feel like you understand your child, the little shit goes and changes on you. Like they'll they'll change and they'll like grow into something new and, and like they're they're always evolving. So like as soon as you feel like you've got them pegged, boom, they change and it, it's like it's not what it was anymore. Yeah, the, I so I struggle sometimes with like um because those are real things. I think a lot of a lot of the people I work with, people you've worked with for, for your whole career, are people that were you know, in the 30 to 50 year old range and that childbearing, child rearing age. Um, and so kind of having those discussions of like, yeah, I don't really know. Like, I just don't, I don't have the best advice outside of like, I can help you get your shit together. And so sometimes it's not that I struggle with that. It's just like, I'm, I'm looking forward to going through that almost to like be able to connect with how ridiculous of a, the level of certainty that people will give advice with to just like be able to just <laughs> roll my eyes at that level of certainty. Um, generally speaking, I guess I'll selfishly ask, what are some of the pieces of advice that you've looked back on? Like you said, this was a great piece of advice. What are some of the things that you, pieces of advice, and I'm sure they're just endless, that come to mind for you where you're like, God, that was either good or bad, but that sticks out in your mind. Man, I mean, I've gotten literally thousands of- Oh my of God, DMs are probably like, crazy. Bro, truly, truly remarkable. Um, <laughs> I really think that the best piece of advice that I've gotten was um, that- nobody knows your child like you do and like you shouldn't take anyone else's unsolicited advice unless it's more general and like just about learning about the process like i haven't heard a single piece of advice outside of the one where it's like hey like as soon as you think you figure them out like they're going to change because i've already seen that in four months um I haven't gotten a single one where I'm like, well, that was amazing. There are like cool things. I mean, just as the nerd that I am, like, so tummy time, I don't know if you know that it's like very important. Apparently it's where you put your baby on their tummy. So dude, we could go in on this. I'm I would sure love to go in on this. I'm, I've had the rest so, of the, all the health and fitness stuff we wanted to go through. I'm good on that. I would love to just go off. Yeah. So I think, so having a baby is scary for many reasons, not least of which, as I started researching more and more before our baby was born, you learn about this thing called SIDS. Have you heard of SIDS? Sudden infant death syndrome. Yeah. Dude, that shit is fucking petrifying like thinking about you know your wife being you know going through this entire pregnancy and like you're preparing all this stuff like you give birth you have this beautiful child and then like out of nowhere your child could die like in the middle like that shit is fucking like it it's the i couldn't even imagine so of course me being me like that's all i'm thinking about i'm like like i'm i can't sleep I'm not going to be able to go to sleep. I'm going to have to sit here and watch my daughter sleep every fucking night to make sure that nothing bad happens, uh, which is just not the right way to deal with it. But one of the the things that well, often what can happen is they could turn over in their sleep accidentally. And there are many ways to try and prevent this and all of that. But if they turn over and they're not strong enough to pick their head up, well, then they can get smothered, which is one of the ways that they could die. So teaching them to uh, to put them on their tummy to get stronger so that they can be able to pick their head up. So at the very, at worst comes to worst, maybe you could hear them crying and then you can go and turn them back over. Um, teaching them to be strong enough to essentially doing that like Superman position. So one of the best things that I've gotten is this like in water thing. It's like a water mat. It's essentially like a, a waterbed for a kid. It's, it looks like a teeny little mat. It's like a two by two. It's adorable. Like one and a half by one. Yeah. Yeah. You fill it yeah. with water, and and she just goes does tummy time on it every day. And she, like she started it's off with workout. like thirty seconds. Dude, it's a little workout, and it's crazy because <laughs> I can see progressive overload. Yeah, I'm dying. Yep, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, 
dude, like today I posted a story of her doing it. And like, she's laughing while she's doing it. And she was on there for over six minutes, just laughing the whole time. When she first started, she was like, uh, 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 like really struggling and like flexing. And now she can do the whole thing completely effortlessly for well over five minutes, which is like the nerd in me. I know the nerd in you is going to love that. But like, I think that for me has been one of the coolest things I've gotten just like, you know, I'm, I'm a survival guy and I want to make sure she's safe and strong. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to beat all the boys when you're in wrestling and jujitsu, like you're going to just dominate. Like this is where my mind goes. But in terms of like actual parenting advice, you know, I mean, it's also difficult just because she can't even talk yet. She's just, you know, a little blob. So I'm sure like more advice will come as she gets older and, and, and I face different situations, but for now it's just, you know, just trying to have fun with her and what it's, I remember watching other people with kids and hearing like, I would hear someone say, oh my God, like my, like my child's getting so big and I'd look and it's like, it's a 14 pound kid. I'd be like, what the fuck do you mean? Your child, like, your child's tiny. Yeah. But now I can see like my child went from seven, seven, seven pounds, 13 ounces to now she's like 14 pounds. I'm like, she's fucking huge. She's doubled. And I'm like, she's du- when's the last time you doubled your size? You know, like, dude, it's crazy. And then even little th- parents would be like, oh my God, like she's getting like so smart. Like she's reaching for something. I'm like, what, what do you mean? She's getting, she's reaching for something. Like she, like, what is that? But now I'm like watching my daughter reach for my nose. I'm like, oh my God, you're so advanced. <laughs> I'm like, it's just, it's, like, oh, you know, it's ridiculous. But like when you're watching it every day, you see these huge changes literally day to day. And it really is fucking crazy to, to watch that development. The, the progressive overload is hysterical because I'm sure there's like a progressive overload from being like a thing that cra- crawls to, to walking. There's just like a slow and sure progressive overload that happens, which is just, it's, you're right. Cause you're watching it so myopically, like so zoomed in, like what's, you know, most people, it's like a, it's like a proxy for like gym progress. Like most people are like, well, do I look yes. any different today? And it's like, well, if you zoom in on every single day, you might notice these little things going on. But if you're like waiting for yourself to look different in the mirror, like it's going to feel like it's taking forever. Dude, I noticed the progressive overload with everything. Like I'll like hold her and have her like stand on my legs and I'll notice like she can stand a little bit longer or like uh, the, like it, we have this little jumper thing that she can, you know, the kids, you you put them in this jump and they can like jump up and down. Um, When she first started, like she like couldn't, she would like immediately sink down and bend her legs and now she can fucking jump in this. Like it's crazy. It's uh, I really want to make a progressive overload video using her as the example. Cause I feel like that's actually going to stick. Like, listen, it's like the fact that she can smile now while doing this versus before she couldn't that's progressive overload that she can take the same amount of stress with, without having as much of a, of a difficult time with it. Like it's a lower percentage of her one at max now. Like that's amazing. That's awesome. I love that. It's hysterical. Have, has, has, listen again, you, you're like, it's so freaking important. I can't even fathom. Of course, this thing is so important. Has it forced you to make specific changes to like the, the, the workflow that you have? I'll pivot back to business here for a second, but has it drastically, I know that you put a lot of these things in place, whether or not in anticipation of this scenario occurring or just being more present with your wife and being more present with other parts of your life. You had some of those things, you got Susan, you had an assistant, um, but has it created a, an, was it even more of something where you're like, well, I was not prepared for this and uh, I've had to make X, Y, Z changes? As of now, no. It's like there's been nothing that's been crazy or, or like, I mean, I knew that sleep was going to be really shit early on. So like that wasn't surprising. And like, like I adjusted ahead of time. And, um, you know, my assistant Kat and I, we like, she's 
she's makes my calendar. So I look at my calendar every day and I'm like, cool, this is what I've got. And it's like, we've had to adjust the timing of certain things. The biggest adjustment was actually the time that I work out because, um, that's the, that's the biggest adjustment is now I work out usually around like 10 or 11 PM. Um, because, and, and not at this point, but earlier on, I was doing the, the 1 a.m. feedings because I'm a night owl anyway. Like I stay up late. It's I'm, no problem. I, I prefer waking up uh, waking up late and staying up late. And my wife prefers waking up a little bit earlier and, and going to bed a little bit earlier. So we decided that since we we're going to be uh, doing a mix of breastfeeding and bottle feeding, now it's purely bottle feeding, which, by the way, that's a huge fucking world of debate. Like if I hear people never screaming seen, already. Oh my God, it's insane. But um, I I wanted to take the 1 a.m. feeding so that my wife could get some sleep because you'll see like it's it's insane how how taxing it is on on the mother. Uh, just everything, but not least of which, even if she's not breastfeeding, even if it's just pure bottle feeding, like the baby needs the mom. The baby doesn't need the dad. Like the baby needs the mom. So it can be super stressful. So I was like, I'll take the 1 a.m. feeding so you can sleep for a couple more hours. And then, uh, and so as a result, I just work out at 10 or 11 so that I'm not tired by 1 a.m. And, you know, it just worked out really well. Um, it's not something that is honest. It's not that difficult to be very blunt about it. Um, it hasn't been, and I hesitate because I know some people are gonna be pissed, but like my experiences, it hasn't been difficult, like at all. Um, I think it would be very different if I had a full-time job that I was working in an office somewhere else. Cause I, I can offer and provide help to my wife while she's here. Um, I know some babies are, are much more intensive and, and, uh, they require more than others. Like some, like, thank God our baby isn't colicky. Like she really doesn't cry that much. She really only cries if she's hungry or if she's tired or if she has poop in her diaper. That's really it. And as soon as one of those things are fixed and she stops crying, but like, I know some babies will just cry all the time, bro. We have, um, we have family friends here in Dallas. They had, we, it was us and two of our family friends had babies all within like a month of each other. And, um, we actually, it, the reason we went to this, uh, a class called going to the delivery room at our synagogue. They had like a, a class that we went to, which was not helpful at all, but it was great because we met some great couples. It wasn't helpful in the least. It learned literally nothing, but we had made some good friends. One of the couples, their baby is, she's been crying nonstop. Like when I say nonstop, I mean nonstop. And sometimes it just happens and they got a night nurse to try and help. And I shit you not, the night nurse said that their baby was uh, the spawn of Satan. Holy fucking shit. And they had to fire the night nurse because they're like, you should not say yeah, that. Fact. But like, yeah. if, if that was like, if it, it would be very different, it would be way more stressful and difficult if that was what our baby was doing. Right. So like, I hate that I have to say this. Like, obviously my experience is mine alone, but like, dude, it hasn't been that difficult to be very blunt with you. Just, it hasn't. I think a lot of it is because I was able to set myself up for this, to have this freedom to be able to do that. But it really hasn't been that hard yet. I have maybe um, a, a really serious question that may, might be a little bit too deep for this sort of podcast, but maybe you could touch on just the amount of poop that comes out of such a tiny thing. Bro, unbelievable. <laughs> Literally, she woke up this morning, she was oh, in her shit. Harry Potter pajamas. She shit so much, it not only came out of her diaper, but like out of her pajamas. Yeah, like those yeah, pajamas yeah, are yeah, gone yeah. now in the trash. Like it's it's remarkable. And I didn't know this. This is a good piece of advice, just so you're aware. If you take your child on a plane, apparently 
when you're going through the landing phase, as you're descending, something about the cabin air pressure makes that it makes them just shit. Like, which I didn't know, but as we were descending on our last flight, my daughter just fucking like blow out all over the yeah. place. Uh, and I posted about it on Instagram and a ton of parents were like, this happens literally every time, which apparently has to do with the cabin pressure. Um, so just be aware of that, but dude, a a truly unbelievable amount of poop. Like I had no idea that such a little thing could create such large quantities of feces. I just fucking died when you said that on Instagram for the first time because Jenna DM'd me it immediately. She's like, this is going to be you as a dad. Just like, she's like, you and your, you and our daughter are going to bond over how much you shit. She's like, you shit just as much as this. And so you guys are going to bond. She's like, are you going to be ready for this? I'm like, I'm going to be fucking dying laughing at the amount of shit that's coming out of my baby. And just, just being like, wow, I can't believe anybody could shit more than I do. And just like going to be something that I find. Like, I just want to be, I know again, I'm just, of course, I'm being very speculative. I don't know. I don't want to pretend like I know. But like, I'm all, I am looking forward to like looking at that funny side of that. And like, if my kid shits during the descent and it gets all over me, but like, I just, part of me is like, very, is looking forward to that. I know it sounds stupid. And I know maybe like in that moment, like a stress will hit me, but I hope I can connect with the thing I'm saying right now, which is like, it's just going to be something that I want to laugh about. And I want to like, I, Jenna and I talk about, I want to be in a situation mentally where we're like, we laugh about that stuff and we just know that that's like a part of it. I don't, again, I'm just fucking speculating. I hate, I already like know the people that are like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And like, I just know that that's gonna, I knew that when we were talking about this podcast, like I don't know shit about shit. Your baby's four months old. We don't know about parenting, but it's like, all right, I'm just gonna talk about what I know. And like you said, be brutally honest about your experience. And I'm gonna speculate and maybe I'm fucking wrong. Who knows? But that's just how I'm looking at that of like, I'm going to no, crack up. My baby fucking blows out on, on an airplane on the way down and like totally fucks up our plans or whatever that is. Like I want to look at that think, positively. Dude, I think that outlook is the difference between a more like optimistic, positive person versus a pessimistic, negative person where it's like to hear someone who doesn't have a kid say, I'm really looking forward to being on a plane and having my kid poop so I can laugh about it. It's like, I think that would give someone, I would hope that someone who has a kid who would be in that situation be really pissed off, give them some perspective and say like, there are some people out there praying for this opportunity. Fact. Right? It's yeah, like yeah. like what an amazing gift that I have to be able to to be able to struggle through this. And yet it's not fun. Like my baby just shit all over me on the plane. And I'm not like uh, yeah, this is like sure. I'm so happy this happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like yeah, yeah. I'm blessed to be in a position where I'm blessed enough to have a child and where like I can take care of this child. Like, thank God that I can actually that I can be in this situation, you know. Uh, and let's go back to the to the working out at 11 10 or 11 and um so my presentation is basically like on a minimal a minimalist approach to training and so basically like how can we get the most out of like very little training um and maybe not with the intent of turning everybody who listens to that presentation into a full-blown minimalist but at least having those tools for times in their life when they are like I have one slide that says I know you're skeptical but and so it's like I know there are going to be people because it's a group of fitness enthusiasts I like people like Stan Efferding are, are going to be there like that means there's going to be like people who are into bodybuilding and stuff that are going to be there and I'm like listen like okay maybe you think you are a maximalist maybe you are looking to be a bodybuilder maybe you want to train like a bodybuilder or do a photo shoot or you coach bodybuilders but the truth is you like you won't always be like a maximalist approach is not always practical and so at least listening to what the fuck i'm saying about how to like get more out of less time or understanding you know how much of the bulk of the benefit you get with the first very small percentage of your training like maybe i'd be curious uh 
maybe philosophically, just like mentally things that you've changed about your your own training, your own fitness, if anything, um, but also maybe like practically, okay, you're working at 10 o'clock. Are you like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm fine working at 10 o'clock. I'm gonna do full body. I'm just here looking to like maintain my health or is it like, has anything changed with the way you approach your own workouts? Yeah, so there are two main factors that drive why I work out the way I work out. Uh, number one is to be healthy and strong for, to hopefully li live as long as possible. And the other one is jujitsu. Like that's why I train the way I train. Um, and I'd say it's probably equal between the two. Like I'm bro. If you get me talking about jujitsu, like it's going to be a, a long, long, like I'm obsessed with jujitsu. I look at jujitsu. Like a lot of people look at CrossFit. It's like a cult. Like I'll just go off. I, I mean, I'm fully in the jujitsu cult. So that really the the two factors that dictate my training are jujitsu and health i think health has the edge in terms of like that's what i'm care more about uh and the way that i am judging that is based on there are many times i'd probably like eight out of ten workouts i have to skip something like i like eight out of ten workouts i have a whole workout plan and i'm skipping something eight out of ten at this point i am always prioritizing the thing that is better for my health not the thing that's better for jujitsu so i will always skip the thing that is better for jujitsu and always prioritize what's better for my health. Um, mainly because I've just come to the realization probably in the last like six months that I will never ever be a world champion in jujitsu and it's just not fucking worth it. So like I'll like, if I have to prioritize one, I'll prioritize the health. And at this point in my life, that's really cardio over, over everything. Um, if we look at research around strength and, and how, how that relates to longevity, I have more than enough strength in terms of like my strength and muscle mass and all that stuff. Like I don't like my strength is not going to be an issue for me ever because of all the work that I've put it in. And, and I, I do more than enough now, but if anything, like cardio for me is, is the most important for my health, for my blood pressure, for, uh, for my cholesterol, for, for overall longevity, for everything. Cardio is most important. So that's the, the priority for me right now. Um, I would say like I'm doing I'm doing probably about four to seven hours of zone two cardio a week at this point. And if I have time to get my lifting in, then I will, which is probably about two to three times a week. Um, but that's really it. I lift two to three times a week. I do some type of cardio basically every single day. And that's it. And like I'll, I'll be in and out of the gym within an hour. But I've also gotten to a point where I exercise every day. I do something every day, whether it's walking 10,000 steps or, or doing a little bit of zone two cardio. Like there, it's in my schedule in the same way, like I brush my teeth in the same way I take a shower and the same, like exercise is something that I do every day. It's something my wife does every day. We alternate when we're going so that one will watch our child while the other one is working out. It is, and going back to what we were talking about earlier, setting a good example, like it's something that we want to set a good example for and so that our, our our child and god willing future children will see that's something we have to prioritize in our lives it's not something where if we miss a workout we're upset about it we don't take it out on anybody else it's not something that dictates our life but it is a, a priority in our life that we have to hit uh and that like is, is very very important to us so um, the big, yeah, the biggest change is really just a massive emphasis on cardio for me. I, and I know like, I don't, I don't want to get bigger. Like I know like <laughs> you're the, the hypertrophy expert, bro. I, I don't just, want to get bigger I've either, never... by the way, if we're in the similar boat here with this, like <laughs> the amount of strength and like resistance training or the amount of muscle you need to have in strength 
I always find this to like somebody, somebody said this, I don't know who, but it was like, once you can deadlift like your body weight, like you've, you're strong yeah. enough for the rest of your life. Um, and it, wanting to be able to do that for as long as possible is all, absolutely on my list of goals. But like there's with everything, there's a diminishing return. And, and if we just really, if yeah. your goal was to be physically fit and healthy and, and live for as long as possible, like the amount of all of this stuff that you'd have to do is very little. The consistency with which you'd have to do it is extremely high, but the actual amount of stuff that you have to do, the amount of adaptations you need is is not a lot. I mean, not that we're like all trying to be like blue zone, I need to live to 120, but it's very clear those people aren't like mega, mega jacked. They're just like, correct, you know? Exactly. And so I definitely agree with you on that. I, I, and I'm not shitting on people who want to get bigger. You know, what? something I've been wrestling with, I, I'm going to let you go in a second here, but something, no I've, been, rush, no rush. something I've been wrestling with is like, is I don't want to poo-poo people who are like, hey, I want to get bigger just because I'm in a place where I no longer want to get bigger. Because I think like if our main goal is to have people like uh, do this for as long as possible and be in it and appreciate their fitness and value it in some way, like sometimes having like, like I don't want to poo-poo people who have specific strength goals because that might be the thing that is keeping you plugged in on this. And even mm -hmm. if I might be like, okay, 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 in the background, I'm like, in the, you know, maybe don't just keep it in context and like make it sure it's like still a fun thing. And it's not this goal that has such a high consequence that if it doesn't go perfectly, it's, it's having a negative impact on your life. But I'm, I'm trying to find that balance of like, hey, it's not that important, but if you find it to be important and that keeps you in it and you're in this point where you're really excited about it, it's like that thing where like when you find out BCAAs like don't actually do anything, but then you like somebody's really excited to drink their BCAAs and it, it like gets them on the treadmill and they're on the treadmill, they got their jug of water. It's like some pink fucking toxic, whatever tastes like ass, but, but they're excited and it's like a placebo that helps them be excited and then you shit on it and all of a sudden that's like makes it less fun for them. So that's like a balance I've been because I'm going through a transition where I'm like, longevity, balance, consistency. I don't need to be super mega jacked. I want to be like, I want to do as little of this as possible to get the most out of it. But then I'm working with people who are a little bit more into it. And I'm like, don't totally poo poo it because this yeah. might be an important part of their like training career that ends for them getting into a place of maybe a bit more balance or, and so you, I'm sure you've experienced that too. Dude. Yeah, of course. I mean, I didn't need to deadlift 530 pounds at 130. Like, I didn't need to do that, but it was one of those, like if, if it wasn't for that, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today. And I don't mean, even mean like the end, I don't mean like the actual lift. I mean, the journey of getting to that lift, the years I spent trying to get there. I mean, that was my sole and main focus for many, 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 many years that like in the grand scheme of things, no one gives a shit that I deadlifted that. Like that will not be on my gravestone. No one is going to bring that up at my funeral. Like no one cares. But the things that I learned throughout the process of doing that have allowed me to become who I am today. And so I think like, you know, if someone wants to get bigger, yeah, that's amazing. I would look at your goals in relation to uh, the greater context of your life. Like how will this affect you down the road? Um, you know, like, and, and not to say that one is right or wrong, but like just how, how, objectively how will this affect you down the road and, and and use that to factor into your to your decision making in regard to what goal is going to be best for you um but yeah i mean if someone wants to get bigger or deadlift four times their body weight like all my support i think that's amazing do you set any resolutions i mean is that something that like it's a big it's a big it's i would say polarizing but it's like doesn't even deserve a polarizing like a uh, like denomination there but is it something that you have in, that you've changed your opinion on is it something that you do is it something you speak on in your content dude i love resolutions i'm a huge huge fan of new year's resolutions um i i think they're super important and i've seen enough people 
stick to them to where I'm like, this is really, this is like, I know people who on January 1, years and years and years ago, they stopped drinking alcohol forever. I know people who stopped smoking. Um, I know for me, three years ago today, I decided I made a, a New Year's resolution. It's on YouTube. I made a New Year's resolution three years ago today where I was like, I'm going to really work on my blood pressure. I was like consistently 150 over 100. And like yesterday, I'm 118 over 74. Um, two years ago today, I made a New Year's resolution that I was going to floss every day. I, I've only missed like four days since then. Like, and I used to not floss at all. Like when I would go to the dentist, it'd be like, boom, blood everywhere. And now like fucking floss like a fiend all the time. Um, I, I very, like, I look at it from a numbers perspective that if we have a million people who make new year's resolutions and let's say only 5% of them actually stick to it, only five, that's 50,000 people. If you have 10 million people making your resolution and 5% of them do it, that's 500,000 people who are achieving their goals. Like that's, that's unbelievable. And, and what I've, a lot of people say New Year's resolutions don't work and 95% of them fail, which I haven't seen that data, but like either way, um, assuming it's true, I, what I've seen is it's not the, that the people fail it's that they, they didn't set good resolutions from the beginning. It's sort of like people say 95% of diets fail. I'm like, okay, well, which diets are we looking at? Are we talking about like, do detox cleanses count? Like, like, because if we're looking at a real sustainable, very uh, scientifically based approach, guarantee you it's not 95% fail. Like it's, it's, there's still a high percentage, maybe like 65% fail, but there's a much higher success rate with that. And I think I made a whole post about it yesterday, like how to set good resolutions, having an objective-based goal, having action-based goals. You said earlier that like a lot of people don't like to-do lists. I think if people don't like to-do lists, then they're not doing them properly. Like, I don't know how anybody cannot like a well-executed to-do. Like, if you've got 74 things in your daily to-do list, yeah, that's probably an issue. But if you put three to five things on there every day that you have to get done, I don't see how anybody could not be a, a better person as a result of that. And it could, on your to-do list, it might be spend 30 minutes with your kid. It might be get 5,000 steps in. It might be drink more water. It might be make posts on Instagram. I don't give a fuck, but you've got shit you've got to do. So you might as well write it down and check it off. Like, I don't know anybody who wouldn't benefit from that. You know what I mean? Like, and that's really what a good New Year's resolution is. It's you have your objective and then you have your daily to-do list to achieve that to achieve that objective i, I think it's so, i love everything you said totally agree i think it's so simple it's like do okay let's take out the word new year's resolutions hey is sitting down with a pen and paper every now and again to take a zoomed out look at things you want to accomplish personal professional health whatever it is like is that is that generally a good idea 100% of people will say yes. What people yeah. get like annoying about is like, you shouldn't wait until this to do that. And it's like, okay, like shut the fuck up. It's like, if this is the excuse, <laughs> the impetus that I need that to finally sit down, like I don't, I'm not even so concerned with the data on follow through. I want the data on how many people sit down with a pen mm -hmm. and paper, literal physical pen and paper and, and think for 30 minutes, an hour on stuff they want to accomplish. It's same with the diet, the 95% of diets fail. First of all, stupidest statistic of all time. It's like a 1959 study, 100, 100 participants given a piece of paper, sent on their way, never spoken to again, 95% of them <laughs> didn't maintain a bunch of weight loss. No shit. And like, I just think if you're, if you're like, yeah, everybody is in agreement. Hey, sitting down, pen and paper, zoom out, look at some longer term goals you want to set, like kind of person you want to be, things you want to do, personal, professional. Is that a good idea? Absolutely. 
This is an excuse for so many people to do that. Most people do like never, and I'll use business as like one bucket. Like there's a difference between working in your business and working on your business. And we yes. work, we do a lot of like working in our life. We don't work like on our life. And so a lot for me is like, I'm, I'm going through my daily checklists and my daily checklists look like a lot of things I need to do to get through the day. We're like, how often am I taking a step back and making like a monthly, yearly, decade long to-do list? And so like, if this is an excuse for people to just make the list, like you don't need to follow through on all of your resolutions all the way to make sitting down and making the resolutions a good idea in a binary sense. Like just because I didn't follow through 100% on 100% of the things does not make the act of doing this now useless. I just find that to be crazy. Um, it's fine to be crazy. I you'd have to come up with like some real logic about how me not following through ends up having like a really big detriment somehow. Um, it just probably doesn't. It's crazy. There is uh this made me think. So there's a guy in the the jujitsu and fight community. His name is John Donaher. He's like one of the 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 smartest, most intelligent like fight coaches in the world. A lot of people would think of a fight coach and they just think of like a brute. This guy is like a philosopher and he he's he was uh he just one of the smartest people in the world. And he said something in a caption the other day that I think really relates to this. He he was talking about how he's like, if you take two people who know nothing about fighting, like nothing, they've never fought before, they don't know the art of fighting, they don't know the science of it, they don't know it. You take one of those two people and you explain the goal of what you want them to accomplish in a fight, like what they should be aiming to do. You don't teach them any techniques. You don't teach them how you just say, this is the goal of what we want you to do. He was saying that person will beat the other person every single time because they have a direction. They know what they're looking for. They don't know what movements to do. They don't know what exactly is right, but they know this is the end goal of what I want to accomplish. And I think I was like, man, that's so smart and it's so accurate. But also in going back to the resolutions or goals, the person who writes their goals down and not just the objective, but how they're going to achieve those goals, that person will succeed more than the other than someone who doesn't do that every single time because they have a direction they know what they're aiming for they they can objectively say this is the direction i want to move the whole like train track analogy better to be like uh to be like on the right track than on the wrong track on the wrong direction it's like i would much rather know which track to be on i want to know which track and what direction to go maybe i'm not going to go to the right station but i'm going in the right direction and it, for people just to sit down write these things out have a really uh, have a real conversation with themselves. Like what's important to me? What do I want to focus on? I think it's one of the best things you can do. And from there, chopping it down to like the, the top three to five most important things to you. I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see people doing is they have 74 goals. It's like, that's great. And I love that. But what's your top three to five and maybe even your top two to three, like that you really want over the next two to three years. I think a lot of people might look at what you've accomplished or what I've accomplished. And they're like, Oh, you've just done so much. But if you break it down every year, like every year, I write down my new goals for the year, every year on January one. And also on May 8th, my birthday, I write down my goals. And I reanalyze every five to seven months. I, I only have like a couple of things that I'm shooting for in any six to 12 month period. And a, a tremendous number of them I haven't succeeded with but a relatively small percentage I have succeeded with that over the course of 11 years turns out to be a, a lot of accomplishments. But the vast majority of things I didn't accomplish, but a very small number of them I have, and it's taken me over a decade to get them. I think if people stop looking for, I think one thing about New Year's resolutions is it doesn't have to be accomplished this year. 
Like just because you make it on January 1, 2023 doesn't mean it has to be accomplished in 2023. You might not reach this this goal until 2027, but who cares as long as you reach it, right? It doesn't have to be this the, the achievement this year. It has to be the the formation of this new habit this year. And and I'm not goal setting guru. I think we all would agree. Like I don't mind outcome goals. I think having like a metric or something, that's cool. But like an outcome goal without a process goal or without process goals, plural, is is probably missing the mark a little bit. And, you know, there could be a whole discussion on how to set better goals. But I think having at least process goals that are like, hey, these are the things that if I do them, will aggregate to the outcome that I'm looking for instead of I want this outcome. And that's the end of my resolution. Same with the fucking diet of like the diet that they were given these people in the study was just like, go and eat like this. And that was it. And it's like, okay, like instead of, hey, these are like five core habits we want you to follow and that will hopefully lead to this outcome. And so I definitely think that like I would recommend outcomes are fine if you want to have some sort of an outcome driven goal, but definitely work on some like breaking that down into some process driven goals as well. Yeah, agreed. A hundred percent. For sure. All right, let's wrap it up here. Neither of us have big plans today. Who are we kidding? But uh, actually, maybe we do. Um, Jenna really, Jenna's <laughs> going to need to see the baby at some point. So maybe we do that after you hang up. I don't, know if you're, I don't know if Abe's sleeping or shitting. I mean, I don't know if she's jumping or, or playing probably on both. tummy time. Yeah, probably both. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, man, listen, drop a line. I, I incredibly appreciate your time. This is one of the most po- fun podcasts and I'm really excited to check back in and, and laugh about like how little that I thought I knew and, and how much of what you had said was true, hopefully in the next year. So tell people where they can find you. I, whatever, man. Everyone knows who you are. I appreciate your time a ton. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Uh, happy New Year. Let's get on a FaceTime soon so you can uh, FaceTime the old cool. day. Excellent. And, uh, and if you're in Dallas, let me know. Like, we'd love to go out to eat. Cool. Excellent, man. Thanks a lot. Have a happy New Year. I'll talk to you soon, my man. See you, man. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.